Okay, welcome back for another episode of No Express Purpose, and this week is special. Um, firstly, because you can actually see us in addition to being able to hear us, and no, there isn't always uh, a group of five people and several staring on silently. This is the first time we've had this many um, in a room together, and this week is um, actually has an express purpose, and that is to talk about the upcoming sales tax questions that are that are coming up next week um, for McAllister voters and with me today are several panelists representing different entities who have questions on that ballot I'm gonna go ahead and let Mayor John Brown explain exactly what those questions are what what we have now is we currently have a nine and a half percent sales tax in McAllister coming up in July we have two quarter cents or one half cent expiring so the city of McAllister got with the McAllister Regional Health Authority and the McAllister Public Schools and decided to give a referendum to the citizens of McAllister to uh, see what, what they would like to fund, if anything, with uh, uh, sales tax. The, uh, the breakdown would be there's a question of half a cent for infrastructure for the city of McAllister, an eighth of a cent for economic development for the city of McAllister, an eighth of a cent for early childhood center and uh, safe rooms for McAllister Public Schools, an eighth of a cent to uh, expand the cancer center. If all if all four issues were to pass, and you will you will vote on each of these separately, there, there's four questions. If all four are to pass, the sales tax would increase by three eighths of a cent, which uh, if I did, did the math right, comes down to thirty seven and a half cents per hundred dollars spent. So it's a very it's a very little cost for some very great benefit for McAllister, but it, it is something that we're referring to the citizens to uh, to tell us what they want us to do. And so, uh, just to make sure what you said, they are individual questions on the ballot. Yes. And so someone can say, I think this is a great idea. I think this is a great idea. These two I don't support and vote yes on two, no on the others. Yes on all four, no on all four. They can. We, we certainly hope they don't. All right, we hope sure. they go four for four, all for it. All right. Okay. So, um, last week, the City of McAllister Facebook page uh, posted uh, just asking for some questions from the community about specifically this sales tax, anything that they wanted uh, to get more details on, anything they wanted to ask anonymously and have discussed by representative of these taxing entities. We've compiled those and I'm gonna ask them in chunks according to whom they are addressed. We're gonna go mm -hmm. ahead and start with McAllister Regional Health Center and we are going to start on this end of the couch. I'm gonna have you introduce yourself, um, why you're representing the hospital for this discussion, what it is exactly that is being proposed with this question, and then I'm gonna start asking you some questions. So. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Ryan Gathered, and I am the Foundation Director for McAllister Regional Health Center. And I'm here representing Proposition 3 on the ballot next Tuesday, uh, which one-eighth of a cent would generate uh, what, half of what we need to build a new cancer center. Okay. All right. Welcome. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. And let's get started with some of the questions that McAllister citizens had about this particular question. Number one, is the Cancer Center only a McAllister Regional Health Center or will there be any type of partnership involved? The current Cancer Center is owned by McAllister Regional Health Center. The city, in an effort to attract the Cancer Center provider, 
funded with taxes the current facility back in 1999 and OCSRI uh, abbreviation for Oklahoma Cancer Specialist Research Institute is the only certified member of the MD Anderson Cancer Network in the state of Oklahoma. Okay, so would that change with this new cancer center? It would not. The arrangement would still be the same. We would provide the building and they would OCSRI would provide the care as as the provider. Okay. Cool. Number two, if the hospital can borrow and charge for services, why are the citizens asked to fund it? And tag on question, will the citizens get discounted rates? <laughs> well, I'll answer the second one first, because the Cancer Center uh, service provider is OCSRI. OCSRI, Oklahoma Cancer Specialist and Research Institute, is responsible for the billing and rates in the future as they have been for the last 19 years. Uh, to answer your first question, although the hospital can borrow and charge for services, the hospital is also a trust of the city of McAllister. And as a result, the citizens can choose to utilize sales tax as one method of helping the hospital finance and improve the cancer center. Almost all of the upgrades to the hospital, including the $11 million to our new emergency center opening this summer, have been paid entirely by the hospital through its operations without the help of its citizens. The expiration of the one half cent sales tax presents an opportunity to have the citizens and non-citizens that happen to shop, buy gas, or stay at the hotels in McAllister help with the new cancer center. The proposed one eight cent sales tax will only fund roughly half of the cost. The rest will be paid for by the hospital through our revenues, which we do not receive from the cancer center through regular operations or donations to the new center. The cost to a family who spends about $4,000 a month is literally $5 a month, the cost of a Happy Meal, which is a very small cost for expansion of great partnerships and, facil and facilities for our future. Okay, so follow up of my own to that question then would be, what is the McAllister taxpayer going to get out of uh, voting yes for this proposition um, that they wouldn't get Otherwise, so um, number one, is this is this potentially a deal breaker for the um, for the arrangement? And even if it's not, what does that half of the payment um, allow McAllister Regional to do or not do differently if they didn't have that money? That's a great question. And um, if if the vote did not go through. Uh, our cancer center would still be providing top-notch care that has been recognized by MD Anderson for being a healthcare industry leader. We'll still provide that care. It'll slow down the process. Currently, we're able to take care of 35% of cancer needs in southeastern Oklahoma. So expanding this cancer center, making it bigger, that will be, help us be able to serve more, help us to be able to put more chairs there in, in the facility and also give more space for the family being the caregivers that are there that with the cancer patient. So it would essentially expedite the process if, if the uh, taxpayers decided to uh, come alongside the hospital uh, with this funding. And it also means more people can get their cancer care in McAllister and not have to leave town. And it brings more people to McAllister in order for them to have their care because we're a regional health center serving 22 counties. And so people already come here for health care. That would bring even more people here for health care, which then affects our economy in a positive way.
could almost call that economic development. Mm -hmm. Well, each of these <laughs> issues in some way or another affects economic development yeah, you, because, you get to use a because everything's <laughs> economic development. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we already know your trump card to, to your questions. Everything's economic development. No. Okay. Thank you. We'll get back to that. Um, if, number three, if the hospital pass taxes, if the hospital tax passes, does this ensure that city employees will never be out of network again? Now, this may be referring to some specific arrangement or incident of which I'm not aware, and you may know what's going on. I can give a little background on okay. that. If, 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 yeah. Well, I'll answer it first, and we'll see if, if that clears we'll it see up. if you're right. Be because the city can change their health care coverage in the future, it would be impossible to say that they would never be out of network. However, hospital management is currently working on lowering the costs for the city for many of their health care needs, not just cancer. Okay. And I was just going All right, to... where did this question come from? Hmm? I, said, I was going to ask oh. you. Where did the question come from? Yeah. Well, what happened in the past was the uh, insurance carrier for the city of McAllister and uh, that worked through the McAllister Regional Health Center, they changed, the, in essence, they changed the name of their policy and that changed the reimbursement rate mm -hmm. where it created a situation where the hospital would, would essentially lose money by treating uh, people that were in our title versus yeah. the title that uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield had gone yeah. to. It was, it, it was nothing that the hospital did wrong. It was nothing that the city did wrong. It was... It was an insurance company wanting to make more money, essentially. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, this question kind of conflates the cost of the care and the cost of the coverage, yeah. which is a whole other discussion, but <coughs> definitely separate things there. Um, number four, how did the hospital decide, this is kind of a long one and it's a, it's a few different questions, but how did the hospital decide that a cancer center expansion is the most important need in our region? How are healthcare leaders addressing issues of mental health, substance abuse, and addiction in our region. The hospital spokesman, I think this is referring to the town hall meeting that we had perhaps, um, the hospital spokesman stated that Oklahoma will lose 14,000 citizens to cancer in 2018, while OK.gov says 750 to 900,000 Oklahomans are battling substance abuse and addiction issues, most of them without treatment. Well, we agree that some substance abuse in Oklahoma is a critical situation, and we also believe that the state's defunding of substance abuse agencies, programs, and services is a dire situation and one which the state of Oklahoma must ultimately take a leadership role in to help that situation. We're actually, uh, actually, McHouse Regional Health Center, despite the state's refusal to step up, has started several initiatives including we opened our own Geropsych unit last summer. We, uh, we have a national spokesman and educator in, in opioid crisis, as well as we created a mental health consortium for our area, for actually for our state. So we do re recognize that that is an issue and uh, we are trying, we're, we're trying to help that, but we also realize that the state has a responsibility too. Sure. Absolutely. That's definitely a very broad problem um, beyond just the borders of McAllister or Pittsburgh County. But we have done studies within our hospital and we have found the decrease of opioid usage by, by prescribing less. Okay. They've done, they've done an amazing job with this. It, uh, Dr. McElyea, is mm -hmm. he's gone around the country lecturing 
on this to other to other hospitals and on other medical on, on the program that, that the hospital put in that's reduced uh, it's I want to say 60 percent but I'm not he's requested that. all over the country to speak at different conferences on on the work that's been done here in McAllister there uh, was a time the effect was, of the, the treatment and prescription policies on addiction and abuse yeah well you know we're going to get off on a little bit of a tangent, but on the, on opioids, most specifically, most of the 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 abuse of opioids comes from prescription from prescriptions sure. from somebody getting it from somebody, somebody getting addicted to it uh, through through the actual genuine use of it. Right. It's still, yeah, it's yeah. still there's a remarkably high chance of addiction. There's I think it's twelve percent the first time that you take it that oh, you can become yeah. addicted to it, and and. So what the hospital has done is they've changed the method of prescribing it, and they've done it uh, simply by by educating themselves and educating right, other yeah. doctors on it, and they've they've reduced the amount that they prescribe tremendously. I think they uh, uh, the number I'd heard at one time was they were getting you know eighteen twenty people coming to the emergency room just trying to get pain meds, and that's dropped down to like three. So that's. That's that many people who have been affected in a positive way sure. just because of that. Sure. So just to kind of tie it into the question, yeah, they're, right. they're already, they yeah. are, they, they, the state, the state's cut mental health, cut, cut everything. They're, the state has no money. Yeah. But the McAllister Hospital has stepped up and, and initiated programs sure. themselves that, that are addressing some of those issues. Right, right. We're not, we're not um, suggesting to spend money on cancer care. At the expense necessarily of programs, and because right. we see that that's an issue, and are actually yeah. uh, addressing it, you know, with other right with other policies yeah, through other methods. And yes. that's another that's example right. of our hospital and our physicians identifying a need and doing what they can to meet the need. And, and that came internally. Meet the Christ, yes, and and help and help the community. That that started with one of our physicians and Dr. Jason Maclier. Cool. And one of the uh, pharmacists, one of the pharmacists. Yeah, right Dr. There. Larry, uh, not Dr., but Larry Ald, yeah. or pharmacist Larry, Larry Ald. Yeah. Awesome. That's good to hear. All right. Bonus information. Coffee time. All right. No, not. <laughs> Welcome back. We've got one more question. We just had a brief coffee break and a refueling episode. Now we have one more question for Ryan before we move on. In an era of consolidation and a decline in municipally owned hospitals, why does McAllister Regional believe expansion of the cancer center is a good investment of citizens' taxes? Well, unfortunately, the, co the consolidation and decline in municipally owned hospitals has, re has resulted in low s less local care being provided, and this makes it more difficult on both the patient and the caregivers of these patients. But McAllister Regional Health Center is not in the same vote th in the same boat, thankfully. McAllister Regional Health Center is one of the only rural hospitals in Oklahoma that continues to grow and remains very profitable and is continually expanding services and growing in its ability to meet the needs of Southeast Oklahoma. And the expansion and creation of the new emergency center is simply one example of how the MRHC personnel see a need. And this is something that was built without tax dollars two years ago when we came to the vote of the people. And so 
The last time we came to the vote of the people was in 1999 for a sales tax, and that built this cancer center that's currently serving 35% of Southeast Oklahoma's uh, cancer needs, which is over 1,300 unique patients in one year last year. Mm -hmm. So that's serving a lot of people, <coughs> keeping a lot of people in McAllister and bringing a lot of people to McAllister. Uh, in addition, statistically, one in four people will be affected by cancer. Pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one. It could be. It Dang could it. be. It could be any of us. You just never know. It has no respecter of persons. <laughs> the ability to provide quality cancer care locally without requiring this, our citizens to drive out of the area to receive treatment is a great benefit to our citizens and their caregivers as well. It's not just the patient receiving the care; it's their caregiver driving them to and from. And it's if it's a if it's out of town, your whole day is shot. And if you have to go back the next day, you have a whole nother day shot. So um, there's a lot of burdens that people take on when they're dealing with the cancer diagnosis. So to be able to keep people in town where they can go home <laughs> right after their cancer care and, and be closer to home if they don't live right in McAllister, uh, that is that is a big deal. And local certified MD Anderson Cancer Network, which is the industry notice notice standard in healthcare through OCSRI is an amazing benefit, a great provider that we have to the people of Southeast Oklahoma, and it's available right here in McAllister. It's pretty awesome. So, I mean, I think that the uh, observation that consolidation is happening, uh, decline in municipally owned hospitals is happening. Um, would you say that this cancer center, maybe even the ER um, that's being added on to right now, um, is or could be a bid to be one of the hospitals that things get consolidated towards instead of, you know, ending up being absorbed into something else? Being sort of becoming more of a regional hub or, or how, you know, how does that play into what is obviously a trend um, across the state? Is that part of this conversation at all? Well, when you talk about our name, the first word in our name is McAllister. So we're focusing on our home base and to make sure our citizens are taken care of. The second word in our name is regional. So we want to act like a regional health center. So we want to, we see that the need, the health needs of the other 22 counties that we serve are not being adequately met. So we want to be able to meet those needs. So the more services that we are able to provide here without people having to drive a full two hours away, uh, that's a big deal to be able to have that here. So the more the more service we the more services we're able to bring here and more we're able to expand, that, that attracts more physicians, that attracts more people, and that makes McAllister a better place to live. Sure. All right. You guys cross-panel. <clears throat> Any other questions to tag on here? I know my my dad is on his third bout of prostate cancer, and they live in Pittsburgh County, and as a second round of treatment, he had to drive 37 work days in a row to Tulsa to get radiation wow. because that's where it was offered. So Monday through Friday, 37 days in a row, him and my mom, who was his caregiver because she had to drive him home, and that would have been wonderful. I mean, they live you know, much, much closer living here in Pittsburgh County to McAllister. And he would have loved to have not taken an entire day, 37 days in a row, 
luckily he's got a wonderful employer that just let him you know have a sabbatical until the whole process was done but not everybody not everyone gets that and And that's a perfect example perfect example of why this is needed because the more space we have the more care we can provide and that prevents people that live in McAllister from having to leave McAllister to get the cancer care that mm-hmm. they need. Well, it was a close to a two-hour drive up there and two-hour drive back. And you know, the radiation itself didn't take long, but it was still a, an entire day. It's a big part of Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on, on the business weeks. side of it, it's an economic driver for McAllister mm-hmm. because we are the medical hub. We've got, we've got the hospital. We have the clinic. We have Carl Albert Mental Health Center. We have Eastern, which has an RN program. We've got uh, Kaimishi Votech, which I know it's not called Votech anymore, but they have an LPN. Career Tech. Yeah, Career Tech, and they have an LPN <coughs> program. The, the, the McAllister Regional mm-hmm. has, has gone out to uh, the surrounding areas and have feeder systems built that will be bringing uh, people here. And, uh, you know, medically and, econ- and economic development, those are the great kind of jobs that you want. You want people coming here that are doctors and RNs and, and have, you know, a lot of disposable income. Sure. And, uh, it, you know, Kirk, Kirk you can abs- address that better health, than I can. Healthcare is definitely one of our target industries that, that we look at when we're, when we're thinking about growing McAllister. Um, sure. And not just in terms of the service side of things, but in what could we be producing that kind of ties into that? Uh, could we get could we get healthcare providers that are building different supplies? Could we recruit those to the area? So having having the the healthcare, having the hospital in this in this area is definitely an asset for us. Um, it is odd to think about just the mindset's different from from McAllister when you think about going to the next the next community uh, for like the next tier community. You leave for Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of communities in southeast Oklahoma, the next tier is McAllister. Of course, you, that kind of leads to the argument of those people leaving. How do you get them here? Um, I mean, Adam, you and I both grow, uh, grew up here. How many times have you heard someone complain about the hospital doesn't offer these services? Well, how do you get those services? Right. It takes money. Sure. Um, and if you kind of talking about it as a target industry, if you exclude MacApp, it's certainly our largest single employer. But if you exclude exclude MacApp, um, our second and largest employment sector and second largest employer is healthcare and McAllister Regional. Sure. It's definitely a large part of our economy and I certainly support ways that uh, creative ways we can expand on that uh, when possible. Sure. Awesome. All right, you guys went pretty easy on maybe he'll return the favor <laughs> later. So we're going to move on to the thank you for all that information. We're going to move on to talking about the uh, early childhood center. Chad, go ahead and tell us who you are what we're uh, discussing here as a uh, proposition and then okay. well i'm chad greg i'm the business manager and the treasurer for mccallister public schools i've uh, been a, an administrator here uh, for the last five years at the high school and the early childhood level actually um our sales tax i mean we've done a lot of research into what would make the most impact sustainable you know in a kid's education and for future and that's early childhood education and so what we're proposing to do is to build an early childhood center that would house our pre-k kindergarten and first grade all in one place uh, for a number of different reasons one one reason is that we've grown out of where we're at right now i mean we've we've got classrooms that are i mean full to the rim with the number of kids 
and no extra space. I mean, the, the old stage areas in our early childhood centers are teachers' lounges and libraries, and there's just there's no room. Couple that with the with the fact that those buildings were built in the 50s, and you know before technology, before central heat and air. I mean, they have old boiler systems. They have asbestos insulation that you know that would take a lot of money to replace or, or to remove yeah. uh, that have two outlets in the room because they're built in the 50s. There wasn't a whole call you know, for kids to be you know, having iPads or having right. computers because they didn't exist then. And, and another large reason you know, for those buildings is that they're, they're impossible. They're grandfathered in. But it would be outrageous to get them up to the codes that exist in McAllister right now, and in the state of Oklahoma with fire suppression, and you know, and everything. The, our high school building right now is the only building that we have that's not grandfathered in, and you know, we've we've spent about seventy thousand dollars in the last two years getting it up to code. So with, uh, fire suppression or what yes, okay. yes. And not just the suppression system, but it has to tie in, you know, to notify fire department. So I mean, security and and fire, the, you know, the actual pipes that contain the water. It also has to have all the electrical components to notify all the powers that be right. if something were to happen. Right. So that you actually kind of um, answer these, touch on these a little bit. That was my idea to try to answer as many questions yeah, right. as we'll, we'll 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 move on. Um, <laughs> Let me, let me read through these and we'll see if there's anything that, that you can expound on. Uh, one question says, does the school really believe building a large building like that is in the best interest of the district and the kids? Um, another one, how did the school district decide the funding priority is an early childhood center? Upon what research is the idea of grade level centers based and where can citizens find it? So let's, let's talk about those. Um, we do have our, th this, would, this would consolidate students from how that are currently in how many different locations um it would consolidate five down to two five down to two now so i mean those are buildings that are like i said built in the 50s that are not well insulated right. that you know that are not efficient systems right now not efficient buildings so if i'm if i'm coming in and i'm saying <clears throat> just from a very general level why is that a good idea consolidation in terms of both um physical space but also in terms of the the level of education uh, the quality of education what what data and, and they asked this person asked what data or research is there that's that supports sure. this and where can citizens find it why do that well there's a lot of reasons I mean for early childhood uh, you, you can google effects of early childhood education and come and there's hundreds of studies that show but mainly it comes down to two large components one is that transitions that a kid makes when they make a transition and when we talk about a transition we talk about going from one building to another sure. so that's really what that means because everyone knows kids go from grade to grade but making those transitions kids lose a little bit and you have to gain that back they lose a little bit of that knowledge uh they lose a little bit of their, you know, the positive effects of their education because they have to relearn, you know, new kids, new teachers, new principals, new protocols, new, I mean, they've got new rules to new buildings, you know, and those, you know, you, you have to take that step back 
and then forward again. So you're playing right. catch up for the first weeks, and so you can you can minimize those transitions. Okay. I mean, there's there's actually two different studies. This one was from the Journal of Research and Development and Education. I mean, definitely the conclusion of the overall study was that. You know, the results of this study indicate that a decline in achievement during the transition year can be expected for all the grade spans studied in the schools, you know, that convert from self-contained classrooms. Uh, that was, again, like I said, they specifically, that's a Journal of Research and Development Education. Uh, here's one for the re from the Regional Education Laboratory that states the more grade levels that a school services, the better students perform. The more transitions a student makes, the worse the student performs. The longer the student stays in a given school, the better the student performs. So that's from the Research of Educational lab Laboratory. In a given school, like given location. Yes. Right. Ideally, ideally, if, you know, in this area, if we had, say, two K-8 through schools that fed McAllister, mm -hmm. then that would be ideal. We would love that. But we can't house that. We can't facilitate that. So doing the best with what we have would be starting right now with early childhood education. Right now our kids go to pre-K in one building, go to kindergarten in a second building, and then go first through fourth in one of three elementaries. Mm -hmm. So we would condense all three of those grades all to that. one area. Yeah. So that gives us, you know, that helps with that transition and also helps with vertically and horizontally aligning our curriculum. Those grade centers where we've got all of our best teachers all in the same area. They're, they're all collaborating with each other. You know, the, the kindergarten teachers are telling the pre-K teachers, this is what kids need to know for our class. And likewise with first grade, instead of those being across town, they're across the hall or they're in a different wing. And so we can streamline and a lot better educate kids where, where they have more and lasting, you know, positive effects in their education. And likewise, when we do that, that would let us, since we have less grades, put all of our second, third, and fourth in the same area so that we wouldn't just be streamlining those transitions for that age group. We want to do that for every age group. You know, we don't want kids to go one grade at one building and then go to the next grade at a different building right. and learn all the new teachers' names and all the new customs and the new principles, you know, rules. And cafeteria and, flow. Exactly. And, yeah, sure. So, so I, I think, I mean, that makes sense and addresses the kind of argument for the quality of the education and just the quality of the daily flow, you know, for kids and the lack of transitions. Um, a second part of one of those questions is sort of a sort of a question. You do not have the funds to maintain what you currently have. How do you plan on managing that? And and to me, that is in part a question about how does this affect potentially the uh, the overhead, whether that's you know, that going from heating and cooling and doing maintenance in five old buildings to one new building to if you consolidate, how does that change your personnel costs? Where does, where's the uh, economic factor of that and how does that maybe address this uh, well, question about maintaining? I don't, I mean, I don't know who wrote that question that said we don't have the funds to maintain because I don't know where they, there, right? I don't, that's, yeah, that's a large assumption to make. Of, of course, we do have the money to maintain those buildings because we're doing it right now. <laughs> Or they would be closed right now, okay, but great. what but what we don't do, being good stewards of taxpayers' money, is is you know invest a lot of money into buildings where where taxpayers aren't going to get a return. Mm. You know we're going to keep buildings safe, but right now, and we say you know yeah we could we could go and dump hundreds of thousands of dollars and not have any money left over, but we're in a very volatile time in education funding right now. 
And so protecting people's jobs and, and keeping kids safe is our number one priority. You know, upgrading from a boiler system that we could pay a few thousand a year to keep running and just keep that thing trucking along or go buy a brand new $150,000 heat and air system, we're not, we're not going to do that before that becomes our last resort. You know, we, because our kids don't deserve that. And we, we want our kids to be, you know, have their best chance at success. And we know that this is it. We know this is, we know this is a start. And, you know, there are a lot of other, like you said, uh, maintaining one big building, one nice, new, energy efficient building, I can imagine is going to be costing less than, than keeping three 65 year old plus buildings, you know, that, Moderately yeah, keeping them up and running. Sure. That sure. you know that are not insulated, that are not equipped for you know what buildings can do today. Okay, so on on the financial side, and you don't get it quite as easy here as this question because the hospital does get to make <coughs> money off things. One of the questions was: the school proposes a fifteen million dollar building. This tax would generate seven and a half million. Is the school going to scale it back, or are we throwing good money after bad? Why is it so high? <laughs> and I guess I'll ask the implied there, where's the other half going to come from? Well, absolutely. This, this was always intended to be seed money, to be a, a foundation. That's why, that's why there's more than just plan A. It, this is not an all or bust thing for the school. But, uh, you know, and I'll get into that in just a second. But absolutely, our intention is to go after a you know, a bond and to try to seek a, a very small compared to what it would be uh, ad valorem bond uh, to supplement the remaining portion that needed to be financed. And I know the dollar amounts look, and I think that was part of the question maybe originally that we could circle back to, you know, the construction cost f for a school, it's not like going to, if you're, I want to go build a building out there. I mean, number one, making them safe rooms. Is, is a substantially larger cost. Sure. You know, number two, all these codes that we're talking about with fire suppression and all these things, there are kids involved. There are different standards that, that schools have to adhere to, to, you know, f it, with construction. And that costs more. I mean, that pushes the construction cost up to two to $300 a square foot. And at the same time, when you talk about the financing of that bond, when we talk about bonding against a sales tax or bonding against a, a different, you know, property tax bond, when you do that, you not only have to cover all of the financing cost or, or all of the construction costs at the time or in the next year or two and kind of forecast what those might rise to, but you also have to bond against all of the future financing costs, all of the interest because all that is going to get levied against taxpayers. We, we can't have a plan to do construction without having a plan to pay the money back right. in a timely manner. So, and that's, you know, it's like if you went and borrowed money, you know, to buy your house. It goes up and up. Yeah, you don't go borrow money. It'd be like borrowing all the money to finance a house and then have to say, well, what's the total amount of interest we're going to pay back in 30 years? Right. I got to borrow that much money. Because that's what has to be levied. And right. everyone knows, I mean, you go buy a $100,000 house, you're going to pay $250,000 at the end of 30 years, right. depending on the interest rate. Sure. Which, you know, it's not to that scale because as a municipal bond, that's wonderful money that people want to borrow. At, and we can we can get a very good rate at that. But, but it's, it's still, still a substantial amount of money that's just financing costs because there's going to be some bank out there that's going to front all that money up front, and it's going to take us years, the taxpayers' years, to pay it back. Right. And there's a cost to that. Well, and so I think, could you say then that uh, $7.5 up front 
raised with the sales tax could actually be, it's, it's worth more in terms of what it would have had to be if you had bonded it, right? I, well, I don't, I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, I mean, you're talking about the having to cover the financing costs mm -hmm. in what's levied in an ad valorem bond, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have to bond, if you have to get a bond for less because you were able to raise um, half of the cost per Oh, absolutely. Um, you're, you're getting more bang for your buck because you're not having to pass on those financing costs in the same way. Yes, they're not going to be levied against the people right now. They're not going to be levied against their property tax. Because this sales tax, for one, it's not just property owners. It's everybody that will be sharing in that cost. People. You know, Two, it's going to be people that don't even live in this town. They're going to be helping pay that cost. Right. You know, I mean, and those, those things are, are big. And another thing is, it's not just going to be people in the sales tax that reside in McAllister School District, but just doesn't even encompass the entire town. It's going to be people... You know, that all over this area, inside and outside of McAllister School District, they're going to be helping pay to improve McAllister schools. Your base is much broader than, than it would be with... Yes. The, well, there's there's none of McAllister School Districts that's even on Highway 69. Right. You know, but, there's, but that represents a fairly substantially large sales tax base for the city of McAllister. And those people in that area, I mean, that would help fund McAllister schools. Let's see, last part here for you. What measures has the district taken to engage stakeholders in the decision-making process to determine this funding priority? Well, there have been a lot of, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of research, and a, and a lot of that's been done by people in education. You know, I mean, it's been done by administrators. Uh, there, but in addition to that, there have been... There have been committees that we've talked to. There have been meetings that you know Mr. Hughes has had with teachers, surveys that we've put out to parents and to teachers. And there's also been a lot of discussion that we've had throughout the last several months at several school board meetings where we've just introduced this as, as discussion items and have invited people, you know, that can at any time, you know, sign up and, and speak and give their opinion, positive or negative, you know, in a public forum for, for our Board of Education to be able to hear. Sure. So, I mean, we've we've advertised it, like I said, internally, externally through social media. Right. Um, you know, and, and a lot of kind of like this roundtable discussions with, with stakeholders, formally and informally. And there's been a lot of that. But but the guiding force of, of that uh, has has also been through best practice research. I mean, we're an education facility. That's what we do. We look at what's best practice and when, you know, in education. I mean, we're educators are always, you know, we're full of lifelong learners, and that's that's been a, a primary source of our how we want to be guided into the future is do what's best for kids. Sure. Just, Guys, just you know, uh, just to put it in plain English for people is they they would like to build a 15 million dollar building if they have to if they were to have to finance through a bond that entire amount of money it would kick it up to you know 20 20 million or you know kick it up but significant cost mm -hmm. millions of dollars yes. to make the difference of millions yeah. of dollars. so if they can if they can fund half of it with the sales tax and then bond you know, seven, the, the other seven and a half million you're cutting their borrowing costs way down. Uh, it, it's much much better for the school to uh, to handle that a smaller debt than they, than that, and it's better for the citizens. It would, if the bond issue yeah. would be shorter, it, it'd be less levied against yeah. property owners. I was say it's yeah. particularly better for property owners in the district. Absolutely, yeah. and and 
McAllister has three different school districts within it, so it's always that's why it's very it's very difficult to pass a bond issue here because you know somebody living here yeah, will have to pay, whereas this person over <laughs> yeah. here. I mean, our, our school district ends at Douglas. It yeah. ends, you know, before you get to 69. Yeah. We have four dependent school districts that border us, you know, and one independent. We're really two. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of interest around in the, in the city of McAllister. But, and one thing that, I guess, circling back that we didn't talk about, if something were to happen and this were to pass and a bond were not to pass, okay. the reason the, the worded... You know, it's worded the way it is, is because our our contingency plan to make sure that we get every penny benefit students would be to install safe rooms in as many of those schools as we can. Because, like I say, these schools being built in the 50s and the early 60s, they're not, they don't have safe rooms. You know, if if a large tornado came through here, it would be just the cinder block that was installed 60 years ago, that would be right between them and a and a tornado, and we don't we don't like that. You know, so. And, and when we build a new early childhood center, obviously it will contain safe rooms. Right. But that's what we would use with the money if we weren't able to do an early childhood center. Got it would still go, still go to benefit as many kids as we could and keep as many kids as we can safe. So is that contingency? Is that in the language of the? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's to construct an early childhood center, and or safe rooms for Macalester Public Got Schools. It. Got it. And you're not you're not just going you're just not trying to uh, obtain a sales tax for a building you're you're obtaining you're going after a sales tax for the future of McAllister because this will greatly benefit the kids absolutely which is the future of McAllister. There are I mean there are a number of studies too that show you know if a if a child is reading on grade level by third grade they're seventy five percent more likely to graduate high school than a child that's behind one or two standard deviations behind yeah. i mean getting getting kids early and getting those habits i mean you know the, those social and cognitive skills and and a lot of other benefits to early childhood education sets a foundation and a precedent that helps for a lot much longer term success than people think well it, it is long-term success i mean there's not really a lot of short-term gains from from education investments you're talking about 20 years out you start to see the improvements. Well, certainly. And, and education kind of is your long-term economic development strategy. We, Workforce right. is kind of, when you, when you think about we what are it, the workforce in 15 are. or 20 yeah. years. That's what I mean. That's what I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is when you, when industries, they, they rank what is important to them, what they need uh, to be able to be successful in any given place. And consistently, at least within the recent history, um, workforce is the number one thing. If you don't have the the workforce space that they need, they're not locating in your community. Sure. Um, so when that you think makes about, a lot of sense. It does. So when you think about how do you grow McAllister in the way that you need it, uh, the way that we want it to, what do you what pieces do you need? Education ultimately is a is a big piece of it. It may be the long range vision of it. It's not like if we build this next year, we're, we'll we'll have the workforce that we need. But twenty years down the road, it'll certainly contribute sure. to that. Well, well, these kids are, are, are future doctors, future nurses at McAllister Regional. They're, they're future people that are going to be working on the streets and in, in, in the water, um, in the water systems, and helping with economic development. So we just had a, a meter leak at one of our, at, up at S. Arch, and it was two kids when I, you know, that had just graduated high school that I was their assistant principal that come up, and they were wonderful helping us, you know, getting out and find the shutoff valves and stuff, and they did great. And there are a lot of alumni and a lot of 
you know, a lot of walks of life around here. Sure. And it is. I mean, it's, it is, this is the workforce, like it or not. So I've, I've always been of the mind that it, you know, if you're, if you're not willing to invest back in your own community, in your own place, then who else do you expect to do it? I mean, if you're not willing to do it yourself, and I, I've been a part of other school district where we've passed bonds, uh, and when I was a part of that community, and and it's, I mean, my theory behind it is some good things require sacrifice, but you can't expect people in Oklahoma City or people in Washington, D.C. to say, we want to put McAllister number one. You know, especially, especially if people at McAllister don't want to step up and do it, you know. And I and I and I think there are enormous amount of wonderful people here that do want to do that. And everybody that's sitting here just wants to find the way they want to do that. The way we want I mean engaging people and say, How can we best serve you? How can we best serve our community? Sure. You know, this is not all of us are sitting here are public servants. It's know? a question of how, not of Exactly. If. It's not like you know, hey, we want to bend you to our will. You know, yeah. it's we put a lot of time and effort into saying what's going to make the most and best impact. And, you know, long after we're gone. Sure. And, and each of us saw over the past two weeks, unfortunately, uh, the Patterson 219 incident happened two weeks ago today. And we have seen over $110,000 come in through fundraising. It was more than just McAllister, but uh, predominantly McAllister fundraising. So McAllister, when, when it's been met with a challenge, McAllister people rise to the challenge to support others. And this is, this is, an, this is another example. There's a challenge. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I live here. I pay taxes here. I shop here. I mean, this is not something that, you know, that excludes any of us. Sure. I mean, but it's a, for me, all of these questions, I'll be voting yes on all of them because I feel like it's a willful sacrifice and it's a minimum sacrifice, but it had, the potential gain outweighs the loss exponentially. You know, I mean, and there's, there's a reason that there are, <coughs> you know, proverbs that say, you know, one generation plants a tree so the other can receive the shade. Sure. I'm, we're not doing this so that we can all sit in the shade. We're doing this so our next generation can sit in the shade. Just like the generation that built these schools and these hospitals in the 50s and 60s. They saw that need then because at that time they were built in the teens and 20s. And I've heard that several times. Well, that school was good enough for me when I went there in the 60s and 70s. Well, that's because it was new. <laughs> that's because someone saw that need and filled it while you were in elementary school. Right, yeah. Of course it worked. It was the best they had to offer at the time. You know? And, and now that time is over. You These know? kids I mean, now deserve the same thing. Exactly. Well, and you're talking about, we've talked through, you know, two of the four in terms of what really um, is in the question, what is at stake. And back to, you know, John mentioned at the beginning, we're talking about a $100 sale 30, 38, 37 and a half cents on a hundred bucks. And so you say it's, it's a sacrifice. And even in terms of a sacrifice, it's a yes. fairly affordable one. If you look at it in those terms. And, it, and it's one that would be shared by everyone. Sure. You know, everyone that drives through here, everyone that shops here, whether you, you know, whether you own a home or not, whether you, however it is, you know, and I, and I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful thing, you know, 
That is one of the unique pieces of sales taxes is your is your trade area does contribute to whatever you're funding. Um, for McAllister, we have a pretty high pull factor is mm -hmm. what is what it, I think the technical definition for it. Um, it's two, uh, which for those who don't really understand what that means is for a city our size, we would be expected to produce X amount of sales tax, but we're producing double that. We're Just effectively from correct uh, from all these from a trade area surrounding McAllister, which for so a trade area or a pull factor of two kind of indicates that we're really producing twice as much sales tax as you might expect for a city our size, mm -hmm. which is fairly large for the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so you're absolutely correct when you say that this is being paid for by more than just the residents of McAllister. This is anyone who travels or anyone who's in kind of the area that surrounds us that does their shopping in McAllister. It's more than just the residents of McAllister. Or anybody who comes for here for their medical care. Mm -hmm. They're going to use our stores. They're going to use our mm -hmm. gas stations. They may even stay in our hotels. And that's only good and makes McAllister a better McAllister. So Absolutely. Vote for these if you want people who don't live here to pay for our cool stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> with, well, with some help with the pe from the people that live here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Approximately half. Approximately. Well, that is wonderful because the people, I mean, all around this area, they they drive through this town. They use our streets. They use our you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. They our fire departments help when they need to to go out and I mean, there's a there's a lot of resources sure, that yeah. people come here, but they also use. Yeah, so. I'm, just, I'm not saying you don't get the benefit of the no, I know, I know, or the whatever, but um, I think that the I think it's important to mention the how how broad our base is compared mm -hmm. to what just McAllister is. All right, you passed, Chad. You made it through. Okay. Now you get to get. Now you get to go on offense. Now I get to prod. I That's can right. prod for the rest We're of the move time. We're going infrastructure and yes. uh, I just want to last. I don't want to be one stuck. There. <laughs> so, well, we've already established that everything's economic development. So what a better way to tie it all up. <laughs> we'll we'll have covered it all by the time we get there. So uh, we're going to talk infrastructure. So give us um, give us an overview of what that question's about, and then we'll jump in. The question is just in a nutshell: is we're asking for half a cent to uh, use exclusively for infrastructure, city of McAllister. That's roads, water, wastewater. Okay. What is half a cent in terms of annual projection? It's about two million. Two million a year. And to put that put that into perspective, we currently spend about uh, half a million. Uh, actually, it's less than half. It's about four hundred thousand, four hundred fifty thousand on on things that would on, be not, on what just if when this passes, what it'll cover. Okay, all right. Let's jump in. How will the city decide to whether to prioritize streets or water when both needs are dire? What? Okay, so that's one question. What federal and state assistance are city leaders seeking before we end up like Flint? I'm assuming Michigan. Yeah, there's no there's no chance that we're going to end up like Flint. Okay, was, great. I think there was some actual deliberate moves on there, or deliberate not moves, deliberate admissions. There you go. That are not going to happen in the city of McAllister. Uh, the citizens of McAllister will never spend enough money in our town to generate the revenue required to fund these projects. Another assumption there. <laughs> what other solutions, i.e., funding sources, are being sought? So, you kind of have the two there. Um, are we looking for other funding sources, assuming that, hey, the, the need is, is too great than what we could ever raise in sales tax or property tax or something? And then how will we decide whether to prioritize streets or water or whatever else might be covered here? <clears throat> well, the city, uh, three or four years ago, had a company come in and have done a survey of, the, of every street in McAllister 
and they've, they're, uh, they've all been rated and prioritized for need and use. Okay. Um, we don't have that for the water system or the wastewater system. In fact, we don't even have a map. I was going to say, that'd be kind of difficult to yeah. even assess, probably. Yeah, yeah especially, we don't, we don't even have a map of where everything is. We don't know where all of the valves are, and uh, that's we had one guy that took care of this for quite a number of years, and he retired, and he's, and he's passed away. So a lot of times what happens when we have to fix these things, a lot of time is spent just trying to find them from how to, where you no can turn it off. No institutional memory there. Right. So well, we, we have taken some yeah. measures to prevent that. We now, we finally got GIS and we are slowly implementing all of that data into a computer which right. will be available regardless of who retires. Yeah, sure, <laughs> it, sure, it, won't, sure. it shouldn't be lost. Yeah, but you're having to rebuild that <laughs> In a lot of cases, now. yes. Right. And that's, this, that's one of the things that we would need to, I mean, we could use this money for is to get that system in place. Um, so we don't currently have it. As far as the the, the immediate, the, the probably the first thing that we would do would be the bypass of the uh, old water plant out okay. there because we had the, the catastrophic failure that we had uh, was because for whatever reason when they built the new water plant, which is 36 years ago, so it's kind of... <laughs> New, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oxymoronic. We have new schools. Yeah. Yeah. You've got new schools. Yeah. That's right. That's how our new school is. Yeah. <laughs> our water plant was state of the art when your schools were new. <laughs> but uh, you know, they they ran it through that, and uh, that there's not even a where the old one was building it. There's not a building there. There's nothing, and that right. was that was always so remarkably difficult to find it. When they did find it and tried to shut it down, somebody had welded the valve open so oh. it couldn't be shut down. And it's you know it's all. Yeah, ever need this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this will never break. That's right. That's what you're sitting there, I guess. Yeah. And of course, whenever that was new, that's probably what they thought. Yeah. And, but uh, it's the old uh, it's the old the old infrastructure. So we've got to go around it, and that the cost to do that's estimated at about six hundred thousand. Okay. Said so refer back to what I said earlier. We currently spend about four hundred and fifty thousand for so, the entire so city for everything. Right. Yeah. So we would be. Uh, this is one hundred and fifty thousand more than we spend on the entire city. Got it. Just just to fix that one issue, and we, we don't have any shortage of needs. Obviously, anybody sure. that drives the streets, or, or you know, we've had a lot of water uh, breaks and water problems. Uh, what this will do is it'll it'll fix the problem, some of the problems that we currently have. It'll help us to replace and bypass some of the old infrastructure, and most importantly, it'll give us money to work on the things that are going to happen in the future because with the infrastructure we have, we would be foolish to think that things aren't gonna break. Because, sure. I mean, some of it is is literally 100 years old. You know, and uh, uh, Pete was telling me, the city manager, that uh, one time they dug down and they found where there were actually some wood Wooden pipes wow. that uh, were in the, in there, and I've I've never heard of that. You say wooden pipes? Wood. Yeah, I didn't even know that. that was I, I, a thing. I, I didn't either. And it's like, but, uh, it's like colonial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, may, may have been an old settlement or something. Right. Uh, yeah, it could yeah. be archaeologically important now. You might be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, you we'll know, that is, we'll do some research yeah, and maybe do that yeah, part. Yeah. Make but, sure he's not in trouble. But the prioritizing is, is that we have that for the streets. We 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 need to we need to even just find out where our all our water and wastewater systems are. We can we will prioritize those, and we're in we're at in the situation where you know it's emergency management, and so as sure. far as saying this is what we're going to do here, this is what we're going to do here, and this is what we're going to do here. 
that that's what we would hope we could do. But sure. realistically, but it never, realistically, yeah, a lot of this will be uh, it, when we have a water break. Um, I saw one today over on Wyandotte that it, uh, when they go down, instead of putting a clamp on it to fix it, you know, fix a 50-year-old pipe, mm -hmm. they can replace the section of pipe right. so you don't have the, the problem Stop again in the future. perpetuating <laughs> man-aids. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it, uh, it'll, you know, there's dilapidation going on, and it's going to continue to go on if we don't do something about it. Well, so, okay, that's part of the question um, that's not on here, but that I've heard numbers wise and thought about, um, you know, we're talking about adding $2 million, almost $2 million a year to the funding for infrastructure. Um, is that, is that even enough for us no. to catch no. up? No, okay. no, it's, it's enough to let us get, fall less further behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is a problem nationwide. It's not unique in McAllister, sure. but Absolutely. I mean, we've, I, I was recently having a conversation with someone and, and they kind of their thought on it was, it's not fair that you're asking us to, to do this now. It's too much. And in a way it is because, and again, not unique to McAllister, but we're really paying for the sins of the past. <coughs> and not the past five years or the past 10 years, but the past 100 years. Sure. We have prioritized building new over maintaining what we have for a long time. And it's incredibly unfortunate that we've arrived at the point where we can't kick the can down the road anymore. Okay. Things are breaking. Yeah. Um, and more than roads, I mean, everyone is definitely concerned about roads, and I am too, but, but our water and sewer, once it breaks, it goes from working to not working. Right. A road can degrade quite a bit before yeah, you, you can't can drive, drive on it. <laughs> it's not pleasant, <laughs> but you can. Sure. So it's, it's... I think enough to mm -hmm. even, you know, the History Channel has a series called The Crumbling of America, mm -hmm. where they address issues like this in all areas, especially when it comes to utility uses, water you know, reservoirs, roads, all those things nationwide. Mm -hmm. It is, it is epidemic. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the infrastructure for America was the result of WPA projects, mm -hmm. you know, during, right after the, you know, the Great Depression, so, the 30s mm -hmm. and 40s. Absolutely. And that's the same infrastructure that we've been spoiled on to be drinking clean water and driving on paved streets or even brick that they use where mm -hmm. people still drive on. Yeah, we still have some uh, WPA drain structures. Oh, in, wow. in you can see some on like third, second, and third, you know, around there by by Wyandotte and up, where you can see where they just paved over. It's still the brick street yeah, yeah, where right. they just mm -hmm. paved over it. It's We're, underneath here. I, uh, mm -hmm. We had a mm -hmm. leak recently out. Uh, like it's lasted a, a, a long time. Building over here and. When they dug it up, I mean, it's almost immaculate underneath there, yep. underneath that. It's, we're talking so, about stuff that's like pre-World War II right. infrastructure, and that's that's our primary source of clean water and transportation and sewage removal. What yeah. separates us from what caused the Black Plague? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I agreed with her I mean, that it was not ask fair. Ask the who would get caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agreed with her that it wasn't yeah, fair. We're a few steps from the Black Plague. plague. <laughs> yeah. This is a depressing podcast. Oh, right, right. So I agree no, with her that it wasn't fair, vote, yeah. if you vote, but yes. it not being fair doesn't sudden, doesn't suddenly make it the problem right, go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can say it's not fair and then just keep passing it off. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be even less fair to. Well, I don't know if we can anymore. And, and yeah, and that's that's the question. I think is is, you know, uh, can we drown less with two million dollars more a year? But eventually, um, you know, what does this even look like in the large scale? And this isn't necessarily related to this specific sales tax, but um, you know, the, the the pipers, you know, calling for a lot of this country. 
and a lot of the overconsumption and overbuilding and overexpanding that we've done for decades and decades. And, uh, you know, the, the good money after bad, I don't necessarily think that that's what uh, another $2 million towards infrastructure is. But I do think that, you know, that prioritization of what can we actually salvage here realistically in the next 30 years, how much can we actually produce here that's, that's going to be able to save what exists because we can't um, delude ourselves into thinking that we can continue to build and maintain the way we have for overconsume. Yeah. And been over consuming resources. And if it's not addressed, you saw it happen the last time we had a major water problem. There was a couple days where people didn't have water and that, that affects the schools. That affects uh, that affected our hospital. I mean I, the churches were closed on Sunday because there was no running water. It, fe- it affects the restaurants and it it's it's there the economy are, that vir- virtually all the restaurants were closed yes. for a while. <clears throat> Again, which means I had to cook it's dinner. Economic development, clean water, <laughs> absolutely water. It certainly is. <laughs> and when people are looking to bring their business here, that's one of the things they're looking at. Well. Yep. Infrastructure and transportation capacity is certainly that those are certainly economic development pieces of it. If you don't have a way of moving your goods, if you don't have a way of getting people to your business, if you can't support either electric or natural gas or water or sewer, if you can't support those uh, the the required capacities, they can't do business here and make a profit. Now, obviously, every business have dif- has has different levels that they require, and if yeah, you sure. you may be able to get this one, but not that one. But uh, right, it but is we're definitely about the level of like carbon-based life forms. <laughs> Let's start here. Yeah. We need to exist. Clean water. Right. Clean water. Yeah. You oh, need, you need workers that aren't sick. That's right. <laughs> we're, you know we're low on the list on Mavlov's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're looking for those basic survival. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the impression that you give as a city as well is, mm-hmm. you know, with our roads, if somebody's, if somebody's coming here with the idea of investing, and they see the roads and they don't know anything about the financial history or anything like that. Sure. They're going to think, you know, this, this city doesn't doesn't want to, you know, put the effort in to, uh, to, to sure. fix the roads. Um, something that kind of ties in a little bit where, uh, where we are unique as far as uh, our infrastructure and our, or our, tax, our tax base is it's not, we don't have a revenue problem. We actually, our revenue is, is we get three and a half cents of the nine and a half cents. The other, the other goes to the county and the state. The problem we have is of that three and a half cents, one and a half cents of it goes directly to bond payments. Yeah, we have that, a debt problem. Yeah, yeah, it was a debt that was ran up from, and started in 1999. We have to pay on it till 2034. Uh, yeah. At one time it was 160 million, and now, yeah, now we're down to somewhere between 50 and 80 million. And that we got to continue, like I said, we got to continue to pay on that till 2034. So we're we're operating the city on two cents, and you know that that's going to have an effect on everything you do as a sure. city. You know, if what is it, three sevenths of that's like 42 percent, I think, of of our sales tax now currently goes to bond debt, and that's another reason to uh, think about what the school would have to do had they had to do a 15 million dollar bond versus a seven and a half million dollar bond right. you got your your you're borrowing now for the future unfortunately when they borrowed this they 
overextended themselves, in my opinion, and put us in a position that for 30 years, sure. we're not going to be able to do the things that need to be done just to maintain the status quo, much right. less much less improve the city. I mean, you're talking about if you have a $1,000 paycheck, you're talking about $400 yeah. or something like that going straight to yeah. credit card payments or something yeah, like for that. Something that for something that, years. that you no longer benefit from. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like moving into a house and paying someone else's mortgage. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like buying a house and buying the debt of the person that had the house before you. Yes. Right. Okay, so on that note, and we touched a little bit, but what other solutions or funding sources are being sought? And I'm, I, th I think yeah. the question there is specifically about um, outside funding. Yeah, well, there's the state has no money. The state, the state's in, in horrible shape. They've, they've had a huge deficit last year that they're still doing a special session to try to address, which I don't, I don't know what happens when the new session starts and they haven't finished the past session. Right. But... They haven't done anything to remedy that, so the next session isn't going to be any better. So there's no. We pay them a per diem yeah. to go back up there and do a special session again, yeah. like we did last fall, yeah. I guess. So there's no money at, right. at the state level available. Yeah. You, you're pretty desperate if you're asking state government of Oklahoma for money. Yeah. So maybe that's not our uh, right. funding mechanism that we look. So at. the next level is the federal government we could declare a natural mm -hmm. disaster we just gotta mm -hmm. let it get worse yeah exactly <laughs> i don't know i haven't worked for flint right <laughs> yeah, so the federal government they they they've done away with earmarks they did away with that what eight or ten years ago so you know you no longer can have your senator or your congressman say all right you know i'll vote for this bill but i need 20 million dollars for McAllister, oklahoma so there's not there's there's nothing available up there anymore there's sure. there, there may be some grants but they're few and far between and it's just not a way it just it's not it, you can't you, you're not going to be able to do it essentially sure. i mean it's it it's it's like it would be lucky if you if you could yeah and then the only That's other method scratching lottery tickets yeah, for yeah exactly city. there's no guarantee yeah. you're going to get the grant yeah sure so everyone else is going for the after that same money yeah there's but, there's thousands of McAllisters. right i mean even if you do get the grant it doesn't solve the issue of having a, a dedicated revenue source to maintaining things you can sure. get the one the one-time lump sum payment to, <clears throat> to fix something but the maintenance issue is still there. Yeah, How, right, you need to right, make right. sure that you have funding available for when you the new street you just built. You still have stronger. that many lane miles. You still have that right. much uh, pipe under the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change that stuff. Mm -hmm. And this next question, I think you already kind of addressed. But why does this? Why does the city not use this infrastructure issue for an opportunity for a new water plant instead of a general maintenance for all infrastructure? And you kind of touched on how. Um, Rerouting away from the old plant, plant would be yeah. one of the priorities there. But um, I guess uh, a new water plant, is that something that's... Well, a new water plant, you're talking $20 million. Okay. That, that is an incredible amount of money. And even if it produced the greatest water in the world, right. if we had people from Paris saying, we don't want Evian anymore, we want this water, we're still piping it through a 100-year-old infrastructure. Right. So. You're essentially having you're drinking clean water through a dirty straw, right? Yeah. So and if we no, had, let's make yeah. the cup cleaner. Let's yeah. Make the cup cleaner. Yeah. And so you're you're <laughs> it. It'd be nice to have. And our problem, our our water problems don't stem from the functioning of our water plant. 
we did uh, a few years back, we were under some consent orders and that all of that has been, we invested quite a bit of money, I believe it was about around $4 million over a period of time to get it up to a standard. So it's, it's at, at the, the lifespan of a water plant, but you know, $20 million to build a new one without having any money for infrastructure, right. we're still gonna have the same problems that we have right now. Yeah, I mean, so, it may be at, its lifespan, but our other infrastructure is like it's, two or three times yeah, its yeah. lifespan. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, we're, we're in the, the walking dead phase of infrastructure. <laughs> the drinking dead. Yeah. Um, okay, so last one I think here. Uh, does the city have any plans to look at the way it is building and the way it does things with maintenance and roads and how can it reduce costs there first? I think that's sort of in line with what I was asking earlier about like long term and, and trying to maintain something that's unmaintainable. Uh, clearly, we do not have the funds to maintain what we have, and raising taxes isn't going to fix that. I mean, you guys read that the same way I'm reading it. Yeah, um, uh, I, I don't agree with it, but uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, how do you yeah. disagree with that? Well, because McAllister's been the same population since I think 1960. You know, it's fluctuated maybe 100, 200 here or there. Um, so we're pretty solid on what our tax base is going to be. Mm. If we want to have new revenue. We have to build. We have to. We have to have a. We have to have something that is going to produce that revenue. So, for instance, if we did, if the 14th Street Shopping Center were to come in, okay, it would cost money to build the infrastructure there. New infrastructure, once it's in, is going to have a low maintenance cost. Okay. The new uh, facility is probably the newer it is, the more revenue it's going to produce. So you're going to have a very low cost here with the infrastructure and and the highest revenue probably you're gonna get from it. And through the years, they'll, they'll balance out. But in order to grow, we've got to, we, we have to have that revenue. So, because they only, you know, in Oklahoma, you don't get any property taxes from municipalities. The only way that you can fund anything is through sales tax and uh, cost, of, cost of services and fees. So it's kind of a chicken or egg, you know, sure. which, and I would prefer to grow I would prefer to increase revenue through growth than, than through additional taxation. The problem is where we are right now, that's not an option. Right. You know, we, 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 we're going to do everything we can to grow, but it's not going to give us an immediate return until something's done. So we need the tax money in order to work on what we have because the, 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 growth in the, the, the outside growth isn't guaranteed. You know, the sales tax is. We want, we want to get more people here. We want to get more uh, shopping and uh, quality of life issues here. We want to get more jobs here. Okay? That is going to take more infrastructure than what we have because we don't have housing for people right now. We, uh, the ammunition depot is putting on 200. They could actually double that in a, in a short period of time. The uh, Choctaw Nation is investing $36 million in a manufacturing plant. They are going to have to be hiring people. Uh, our current unemployment is anywhere from 45 to 6%. 45 is unemployable. Right? We don't have the people to fill the jobs that are going to, become, that are going to be available. So we have, to, we have to get people here, and the way to get people here is to build places for them to be. So... <clears throat> Yes, we need to invest money in, in what we have, and we're doing that downtown, and we're you know we're doing we're doing 
everything we can for organic growth, but we also have to have new growth as well. And that, that does cost money, but it also produces money. And, and my opinion, I think the, the uh, benefit outweighs the cost. I guess I have kind of some follow-up on that. I, I'd certainly agree that uh, a piece of our strategy going forward on kind of main, uh, figuring out the revenue cost uh, problem we currently have is certainly new growth. New growth, especially productive growth, is certainly something that we're looking for. But there are things that we're working on to help help remedy the cost issue of it. Not necessarily drop the cost down, but find a way of utilizing what's already there. Mm -hmm. If we can build uh, more houses on property, on vacant property within the uh, McAllister city limits and not have to build out a new subdivision, infill. we're obviously cor correct, infill. It, it doesn't solve the problem next year, but within 50 mm -hmm. years, we don't have a new subdivision that we have to maintain. Right. One way that we're addressing that is, is our existing codes. So currently to build a house, single family residence, you have to have a 6,000 square foot lot. Um, not an overly large lot, but there are situations where a large, depending on what, what area of McAllister you're at, but certain parts of, uh, of McAllister, the lots aren't 6,000 square feet. Now, if a house is already there, great. But what happens if a house gets tore down or, or burns down? You can't rebuild on right. it. Um, it makes a lot of our lots unusable. If we were to reduce that, and we're trying to figure out what that magic number is, because we don't want to... We don't want this to become a can of sardines. No minimum. <laughs> but if we can find the number where we could reduce the lot size and maybe squeeze in houses a little bit more or rebuild where there was an existing house, sure, yeah. we might be able to increase our population size without having to rely on building out new infrastructure that would have to maintain. Uh, to kind of go a little further on that, we've again, I don't want to say, say this number and anyone think that this will be the number that it goes with. But we looked You're at saying this will be the number. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the planning director, and I do not That's pretend not to be. Hard. But if we if we were to drop uh, the the square the required square footage of for a lot from six thousand to forty five hundred, it frees up two hundred parcels in McAllister for for houses to be built on. That's a big number. Yeah. Um, so and we Jamie's are. Jamie's going to fact check you on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie was the one that was kind of walking through these and trying to figure out where that where that magical line is, and and we don't know yet. Sure. Uh, there's this is definitely a moving target uh, for for what we're wanting to do, but we are trying to find ways of addressing that. Right. Is there a magic bullet that solves all of this? No. It's going to become our strategy on moving forward is going to be mixed. It's going right. to be yeah, require some have, new. It's going to find say, a way I, of addressing I, the I hear what you we guys have. Hitting the other side <clears> of the coin from one another mm -hmm. you know you're talking about the need for more revenue and you're saying basically we can do better with the revenue we've got with some shifting around of codes or um, whatever else that may be well i mean let's I'd go i'd go and, and i would go resources instead of revenue and that because well, yeah okay fair. yeah and, and to kind of even go one step further than that, not just the lot size, but we, we're always talking about redeveloping Choctaw. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely on board with that and I want to do my what, what piece I can on that. But honestly, Choctaw is going to be one of the easier ones to redevelop because the structures are all here. Right. Now, admittedly, rehabbing some of these buildings and doing the sprinkler systems and all these different code compliances is going to cause some friction. There's going to be some costs associated with that. that. That's difficult. But if we look between Choctaw and Wyandotte, half of that is parking lot. Right. Now we're talking about, when if we really wanted to redevelop it, we're talking about building new structures and trying to conform those with our right. new building codes with how they were built previously. Sure. And what's and, around them. And what's around. 
I think that's going to be a bigger challenge that's going to require us to really look at how our codes are applied and, right. and how we do that, specifically with parking requirements. That's a good, that's a good point. So we are trying to find ways of being more efficient, but um, it's we won't yeah. get there without some new growth. There are a lot. Yeah. I mean, living here, there are a lot of empty lots mm -hmm. that you can't do anything with. I mean, that are because they don't meet that. Yeah. We need that, but we also need the we need revenue producing. We need uh, we need market rate apartments. We don't have that. Um, we uh, we will we need both tiffs because they'll they are uh, they will help us with some of the things that need to be done as as far as Kirk was talking about from Choctaw to Wyandotte mm -hmm. because there's uh, there, there's there is uh, available places there to uh, to expand and sure. do well, but uh, it is it's uh, as you referred to a minute ago it is we need both and you know when we look at doing something we don't you know we don't look at what it's going to do immediately uh, exclusively we do look at what it's going to do immediately but we also want to see what it's going to be 20 years down the road so we're not we're not acting capriciously whenever we're doing economic development sure. at, at any level where we're we are we're, we're balancing out what's going to give the best return for the, the effort and the money and what's sustainable yeah right all right. You guys have any follow-ups, other follow-ups for infrastructure? I think this is the first one that we all kind of really collaborated yeah. on. <laughs> Tag team. You guys are finally getting the hang of it. And now, you know, by the end, we'll Well, I know what I think when you really look at it. You know, we talk about numbers and talk about costs and looking out for grants. I mean, right now in Oklahoma, our government's operating with a $900 million deficit. Our federal government is seven or nineteen trillion dollars in debt right now, and like, what has that meant for McAllister right now, for the last ten years? Like, if people, if we're gonna get anybody to invest in our community, in our infrastructure, in our hospitals, it's got to be us, because it's not happening anywhere else. Drive to Oklahoma City and ask them where McAllister is on their list of priorities, or Washington D.C. or wherever you want to go, outside of McAllister. It, right here, the people here have got to. Well, how many votes do you have? That's yeah. you know that's exactly right. It's, there's there's something like seventy percent of the population of Oklahoma lives within twenty miles of Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Sure. So the big division that happens in Oklahoma <clears throat> City and the legislature isn't between uh, necessarily Republicans and Democrats, wealthy and non wealthy. It's Ooh. urban, it's rural and urban, yeah. and we're mm -hmm. we're considered rural. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And if not us, who's going to do it? All right, Kurt. Not us. Who? Not... <laughs> Let's start a chant. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to uh, economic development with Kirk Reinauer, our economic development director. And I'm going to shimmy these around for you. I understand. Um, I think the first one, uh, yeah. First one I think I'm going to ask is, what is the city's definition of economic development? Sure. Uh, and that's really possibly the hardest question on here because literally everything is economic development because everything's tied to the economy. Um, historically speaking, economic development is usually associated with job creation and, and, and wealth building in your community. But really, when you look at all of these different initiatives that you could take for economic development, it really all boils down to one thing, quality of life. So for me, economic development is activities that enhance the quality of life for your residents. It can be new jobs. It can be helping small businesses grow or expand. It can be that wealth generation that's not necessarily creating jobs, but bringing more wealth into your community. It could be an, uh, 
activities that simply just enhance the quality of life. Like what we're, some things we're doing downtown won't necessarily create jobs or create a lot of revenue, but it may make the community more appealing to people. And I think sure. all of those things uh, are economic development. It's the reason schools are. Having a quality school in your community enhances your the quality of life. Having a hospital enhances right. the quality of life. The demand for good teachers, the demand for physicians, the mm -hmm. demand for the care and services. That and an provide. educated, prepared workforce yes. eventually. Sure. Now, that does create problems. So that means <clears throat> even though everything is economic development, what are you going to focus on? There are definitely, you have to re reel that back and determine what pieces you're going to, to kind of go after. But it's kind of wide open and... and right from community to community, it will vary what your strategies are. Well, and so that's your definition of economic. You said, you know, to me, it's this. Yes. Historically, is that the way that McAllister approaches it? Is that a kind of a mind shift from McAllister? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we're kind of going into your other, your other questions sure. here. So, and I can't speak for all economic development programs, especially for how McAllister's, how it's been for the past. But since I've been here, which has been four years, it has shifted. So when we first got here and we, we first started, it was really kind of a, a new approach to economic development. They brought it in-house. They created an economic development department and they hired uh, two people, Leroy and myself. Um, when we first started, I think that our approach was what a traditional economic development approach was. Kind of the, the newspaper headlines recruiting a large industry. Ideally, it was... A bunch of RFPs. Mm -hmm. A bunch of RFPs. Correct. It was the what each community wants to see the the Amazon locating in your in your right. community the 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 one job or the one project that's going to create seven hundred jobs or whatever, uh, and that's kind of how we operated for a couple of years because we we definitely see the the advantages of McAllister and we we thought that we could market them in a way that would be able to to attract those large companies, um, and what we found out is even though McAllister and and I still believe this, even though we do have a lot of advantages for as far as industrial recruitment goes, we're not necessarily unique in a lot of ways. And it made it very difficult. It's, it's highly competitive. And it made it very difficult for us to stand out from uh, not only other communities in Oklahoma, but other communities across the nation. Because sure. when you're talking about relocating a major project, it can happen anywhere. Right. And there's and they are tens of thousands of communities. Yes. Right. So well, this city said we can have free everything and they'll build the building for us. Correct. And, yeah. Correct. Now there are, it's, it's not, they don't necessarily jump right to the incentive because like I said, there are a list of things they need. They'll sort out, they'll weed out the community. So workforce is usually number one. If you don't have the workforce, they, they may look at a thousand communities and they'll remove the, the bottom 900 that don't have the workforce that they need. Oftentimes that is McAllister because depending on the company they're looking at the Tulsa or Oklahoma City the large metro region that have those right. have those engineers and those chemists and, and skill sets that we haven't fully developed yet um, so over those first couple of years we noticed that despite our best efforts we, we may be able to get a company to even do a site visit that was a win for us was mm -hmm. just to get a company in to look at McAllister uh, but we didn't get we didn't land a lot of industries um, which we didn't land any large industries in those four years. And it kind of caused, for me at least, it caused me to kind of reevaluate what we wanted to do. Um, obviously, if, if I had the preference between large and, and small projects, I'd rather do a large one if I can get it, because I sure. think that creates a bigger impact. Because surprisingly, whether it's a large project or a small project, the time commitment to get that in seems to be about the same. <laughs> right. uh, but I've kind of shifted my gears, and I'm starting to think, well, maybe we need to see how can we grow either help 
people start up businesses or help those existing businesses grow because so far that's been our only wins mm-hmm. um, when you exclude Mac app because it's kind of its own thing. Right. But uh, Krebs Brewing Company, that is our flagship economic development project, not only in terms of the size, but just in the way that we structured that and the win that we get from it. So for those who are not familiar with that, um, Krebs Brewing Company was, was wanting to do a, an expansion and we were able to help partner with them on that. Uh, it wasn't just the city of McAllister we managed to get. I know that there aren't many grants available to the state, uh, but this is one that is. If a company is creating um, quality jobs, ones that are above a certain pay threshold, we are able, as a city, we're able to apply through the state and receive funds. Right. We were able to receive the maximum amount of, for, for the grant, which is a million dollars. We used that. We put in $100,000 of city money, and we bought a building, which we are now leasing back to him. Um, we also managed to help him secure his capital equipment. He needed some collateral to help that because this this equipment, <laughs> the, the amount of equipment it takes to fill a 50,000 square foot right, building is yeah. a lot. Uh, so we took $250,000, put it in the form of a CD and deposited it into a bank to serve as collateral to help him secure the, secure the loan he needed to get his right. equipment. Um, to qualify for the grant, he had to create 30 jobs. And... Uh, he's certainly, I'm, I certainly believe he's going to create that in the time frame he's got, but this is the type of project where as he continues to grow and expand, it's going to go well beyond the initial 30 jobs. Right. And and that's, if I could do that project every year, I certainly would. Well, yeah, and, you, and with that, you've got somebody from here and, an, and a business from here in an industry that's, you know, international, mm-hmm. and you have a tie here. You don't have somebody who... It's only here because they moved well, here because you had a good incentive package or whatever, and maybe the, they've grown, grown beyond that, and now they're looking around for someone else. The risk element is certainly there. Uh, when you recruit someone in, they have no real loyalty to your community other than them being able to produce a profit, sure. which is important for every business. Right. But if you help a local business grow, they, they have roots here, and they're certainly more likely to stay within your yeah, community. There's more reason for them to, to be here. So as much as I would love to spend the, the same amount of time and recruit the 300-person industry, having any growth at this point is certainly yeah, – I would sure. I would prefer to recruit five – or to help grow five jobs than to try to recruit 300 and get nothing. Okay. You've kind of uh, covered several of these, and I realize we sort of skipped over where you say, hey, here's what we want to do with that. Sure. I'm going to ask it in the form of question three. Is the one-eighth cent that you guys are have on, on the ballot enough to make a difference with any kind of economic development, or is it plugging leaks with fingers? So let's talk about that one-eighth cent. What is the proposal there, mm-hmm. um, and is it enough to make a difference? It is. It, there's never enough money. Same thing with infrastructure. There's never going to be enough money to do everything you want to do. Economic but there, development is everything. It's our budget for everything. Yes. <laughs> but it depends on how you what you scale your expectations sure. to. If we are trying to be the 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 city that has the the, the war chest necessary to recruit that five hundred person company. An eighth of a cent probably isn't going to be enough. It's going to generate pretty 500. Sure, pretty sure we, uh, <laughs> there are other limiting might, factors there. Yeah, the we might, money. might not have the workforce for Amazon. <laughs> we, we could get every every living person in the county to, yeah. to work at Amazon and would still be yeah, about 5,000 short. <laughs> but um, if, we, if we kind of tailor our expectations to based upon, well, first, what our budget is, and second, what do we want to do as yeah, a community, sure. it certainly can have an impact. Um, so can we recruit the, the, the big company that's going to require tens of millions of dollars with eight, with an eight cent? 
No. That's going to generate about $500,000 a year, which is more than the $90,000 a year we're getting now. Right. So that's one thing we might want to explain. So even though we currently have a quarter of a cent dedicated for economic development, which is one of the quarter cents that's expiring. That's expiring, right. It so should this be, wouldn't be on top of that. It would not be on top. It's expiring. And that does, admittedly, that does generate a million dollars a year. But it was bonded 15 years ago whenever it was first uh first established. The that's not our paycheck. Our our Most of it is. Of the million dollars, about 910000 is servicing, servicing debt. debt. We get $90,000 a year. For a town of 20,000 people, we have an economic development program of $90,000 a year. And a now, credit card bill. Now, yeah. we do have $3 million in the bank, which sounds like a lot of money until you realize that these projects cost millions of dollars. Right. So, uh, one of our problems right now that, and, and that we're going to be getting into what I would like to do with it. So one of our problems is our industrial park isn't well developed for industrial recruitment or expansions, whether it's whatever your strategy is. Uh, we have about 200 acres that is either not accessible by road or just simply is a hillside that needs to be leveled off. We don't really have a flat site on our, in our industrial park. We thought that that might be some low-hanging fruit early on when we were when we were kind of in that industrial mm -hmm. recruitment uh, mindset. We thought there might be some low-hanging fruit if we took one site that was the flattest, which is right now about 25, a 25-acre site in our industrial park, and thought, well, let's just go ahead and level it off and make it site-ready. That's kind of the typical in, in industry jargon to kind of say that you're you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, that site, 25 acres, to get it perfectly flat, is a million and a half dollars. Mm -hmm. So our $3 million is not looking so big at this point. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess to kind of go back to it, is an eighth enough? It's enough to do certain things that can have an impact. Is it enough to do everything you want to do? No, it never will be enough. Well, so on that note, then let's talk about the other two questions. What immediate plans would you have for economic development if the measure passes? Mm -hmm. And then the other one, what kinds of incentives can you offer or have you offered to local businesses to spur job growth? You kind of covered that with the QFI. Mm -hmm. uh, with the Krebs Brings project, Krebs Company, yeah. Uh, grant um, and increased revenue coming into and staying in our community. In your opinion, how does this model compare to competing against almost every other city in the country to attract the small number of manufacturing facilities looking to build or relocate? You covered we that We covered well. a little so bit of that, yes. What, what are we looking at potentially doing with this? Sure. And what's, what's the wording in the actual proposition? What mm -hmm. are your plans for it, hopes for it? Yeah, I should have brought that. I don't know the specific wording, um, okay. but there are kind of two approaches. So first, even though I said that our that I am trying to shift focus to look more at the at the local businesses and the existing industries and kind of helping them grow, that doesn't mean that we do away with recruitment. Sure. I mean, we always want to have that in our back pocket. When the opportunity is there, we strike. Um, so to that effect, there's a few things that on the recruitment side that we are, I would like to accomplish. The first one is is not really a new thing. It's something we're currently doing, but I want to continue supporting MACAP, uh, the ammunition plant. It is our largest industry, and it does have the most potential for a lot of job growth. So when we are talking about recruitment, um, that I do think is a valid opportunity, and I am trying to move in that direction. So that takes a couple of, a couple of forms. One is we want to make sure that we continue to support or continue to advocate for the base whenever possible. Uh, we do the annual stampede where we go up to DC, there's a group of us, about 15, across different organizations that go uh, up to Washington, DC, and we talk with our congressional delegation. We talk with key officials at the Pentagon. We make sure that MACAP story is being told. I certainly want us to continue to be able to do that. That does take resources. 
kind of to expand on that though, from the recruitment side, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to leverage the base and maybe recruit in some defense contractors that are already doing work at MacApp, but maybe could be doing more work. So maybe Raytheon's building a missile out there and they, they, they have to load and pack it at MacApp, but all the other components of it are across the nation. Sure. Since we're the only pet place that they really have to be at, I'm certainly going to try to uh, use that as a way of trying to get the other pieces to be assembled here in McAllister. Now that takes a location. Now they could be at our existing industrial park, but ideally we might be able to do a, a new industrial park, a defense sector industrial park adjacent to MacApp. A place where they would be able to assemble all the pieces or build all the pieces that they needed and then sit, literally just take it across the fence line and assemble it all together. Um, so those are two things that I, and, and of course, building out another industrial park takes resources. Sure. So those are two things that I'm wanting to, to, to do on the recruitment side. Um, again, I've talked about our existing industrial park, the challenges associated with it. I do want to put, put some money into it. We, we're not going to be able to completely deck out the entire industrial park. We can't not, flatten the entire yeah, thing. Let's not spend the war chest. But on dirt correct, <laughs> correct. But there are some low-hanging fruit there that we might be able to do. Uh, there is a, a gravel road that goes to the backside of our industrial park that I think could open up some additional land. Were were we able to put an asphalt overlay on it of some mm -hmm. kind? Um, I think that is some low-hanging fruit that we could that we could grab uh, or that we could do that would help both with recruitment and and local expansions. One thing that we do is we, we do go to trade shows and this is definitely the mentality, the previous mentality when let's, let's, let's double down and find that big industry. And we went to eat both retail trade shows and we also went to uh, some industrial trade shows normally, or most notably the shot show, the shooting, hunting and outdoor trade show. We went to that twice um, with limited success. One year we actually managed to get a company to come back to McAllister and do a couple of site visits. But I, I do think that we want to find some trade shows that aren't quite as costly, some local ones that we still might be able to continue to reach out to companies and make sure they're aware that we exist. Right. But I want us to target those dollars on those trade shows that are low cost, um, which not that the SHOT Show is the most expensive trade show in the world, but I don't know that we got our, we got our value out of that. Um, the first year I think that we did, but the second year we didn't, and that kind of made me not necessarily want to go again. Sure. That's the recruitment side. What about the local expansion side? Um, a problem with, and this is true of all economic or most economic development programs I'm aware of, is we're really good at evaluating big deals. So uh, whether it's a shopping center that's coming in or an industry that's coming in, they, they know how to speak our language. Yeah. We're going to create this many jobs at, at this wage scale, this total payroll. We're going to have this cap uh, capital expenditures. What can you do for us? And we can plug those into models and see what right. the, the local effect is going to be. We can find out. We can do our due diligence and find out what our return is, and we can offer an incentive that's appropriate to that return. It's really hard for us to do that with local business, with small business. Sure. If a restaurant owner comes to me, someone that's either wanting to start one or expand one, and say, "Hey, I need some help. I've got a really great idea for a restaurant. What can you do?" Well, I don't know. How many jobs are you creating? I don't know. I mean, how, what's your capital expenditures? I don't know. I need a new stove. <laughs> They're not really good at speaking our language. And it makes it really hard for us to provide incentives in that regard because I can't plug I don't know into a model. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not true that they need incentives. Sometimes they just need technical assistance, which again, I'm probably not the best person to talk to every business in the, in, in the, in the community. I can focus on certain ones, of them, but I can't cover everybody. 
So what I would like to do is partner with the Oklahoma Small Business Development Center, statewide agency, and Mayor, I'll be approaching the council with this hopefully sometime in the next couple of months. <laughs> but I would like to hire someone for the Pittsburgh County area. Um, Eastern Oklahoma State College has actually hired someone for the Latimer County 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 area and she does service Pittsburgh County as, as well as she can but I think that we need someone dedicated here in Pittsburgh County whose whose primary focus is literally just providing that technical assistance to, to small businesses who that's what they dedicate their, their time to do sure. uh, helping businesses with their accounting or with marketing or creating a business plan or doing an expansion or mm -hmm. anything that's Typically, businesses are really good at the operational side of things. I know right. I'm, I, I brew coffee. I know how to brew coffee. Right. I don't know necessarily how to do the finance side thing, how to hire employees, right. how to do all those other things that really aren't what I what I thought of when I was trying to yeah, start right. a business. Um, so I want to hire a person for the for the for the pits, for the entire county that does this, and I'd like to use it as a way to actually get more participation from those communities that that are in Pittsburgh County that right now aren't doing economic development. Um, so I would like to form a collaborate, it's kind of an alliance almost with some of these other communities that don't have their own economic development programs, but who, because they are part of our county, are really influenced by McAllister's economy and we're influenced by them. Um, people in the surrounding communities do their shopping here in McAllister. Sure. So we are interested in making sure that they're that they have high incomes as well. A lot of them well. do their working here too. A lot of them work here. We want to make sure that the that everyone in the county does rise because we are all interconnected. Um, so I certainly think having that technical advisor is going to be uh, important, and it's that's a reoccurring cost. That would be something that happens every year. So. If this fails and we have a limited budget that is slowly getting drained down, that's not something that we would be able to continue to, to do. Um, I would actually like to think about doing some type of incubation program. So having a facility that, <clears throat> for those who do want to start a business but can't necessarily afford the rent associated with a new place, maybe they're just wanting to test start an idea, having a location where they might be able to do that. Um, I had a meeting today about the possibility of doing a, a kind of a food incubator, a, a, a certified kitchen where people who are involved in in right. creating different, processing different types of food who can't afford to build their own kitchen yeah. could have a central location where a they could do that. food grade kitchen exactly. for my cookies that I sell here, but I can't afford to build one. Exactly. Need it, you know, 30 minutes a week. And something. sometimes it might be something simple where the grandma's wanting to create some cookies. It might be a caterer. Or we might have the next Lavera's that's wanting to do a really neat craft product mm. that would that would become a huge industry, sure. um, and they and just need a, a place to start. To find out. It'd be a low cost way to find out. So I'm, I'm wanting to do something along those lines. Um, a loan guarantee fund. That's something that I've I've spoken about before, and I certainly want to get off the ground. I don't know whether it's city spo uh, specific or county specific. There's more grants available at the county level than at sure. the city level. Um, but I, a lot of the times there's, again, going back to this idea that they may not necessarily, a, a business that's wanting to start up may not necessarily need an incentive, but they may not have the financing necessary to start their business. Uh, we, it's kind of the approach we took with Krebs Brewing Company where we didn't give him $250,000. We essentially put $250,000 up as collateral to help right. him secure a loan. What if there was a trust fund, whether it be community or county specific or county, county of the regional area that it serves, what if we had a trust fund that um, allowed us to partner with those businesses 
that we want to see start, but aren't necessarily huge return. Well, a business that we couldn't put an incentive in. Someone that's not someone that's only maybe only servicing themselves, or not. They're not really or only creating a job for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily something we could go yeah, and put an incentive like, in. Right. Here's here's ten thousand dollars for you, but maybe we could say, hey, we'll we'll will help offset some of the risks. Maybe the bank's not willing to loan it to you because you don't have the collateral. Right. Maybe we can help offset some of that risk and give the give the necessary collateral to get you mm -hmm. going. That also gives us the unique advantage of being able to use more, to leverage more dollars than what we currently have. Right. So if we're only providing the collateral and the bank's providing the other 80%, um, that really helps. It helps expand kind of expand the what you can do right. as a community. It, it allows you to have a much larger yeah, impact than what good. just your trust Leverage. fund is. I don't know exactly what that'll look like, but that's something I want to see. Um, I also think that we need to start thinking about doing a annual entrepreneurial fair of some kind where people who do have ideas can kind of come together and showcase those ideas mm -hmm. for the community and, and possibly like Shark even, Tank. Well, that's actually what I, that, that's specifically what I thought of. And that's what I had, when I describe it, I right. say Shark Tank. But this idea where all of these different. Oh, can I be on the panel? Chad is looking forward to this. Well, no, I think it's a great way of, uh, of people getting their name and their ideas out there, but sure. also a, a potential fundraising opportunity right, yeah, where, yeah. where not only local banks would obviously want to be involved with this or regional if we're, if we're expanding the area that we're trying to recruit entrepreneurs from. <laughs> But also kind of give away of the community to, to back these ideas. What if yeah. it, yeah, what if, what if this trade show had uh, some type of attendance fee where yeah. you, you buy a $10 ticket and that ticket's your vote? Yes. And we essentially can crowdfund, uh, right. you know, everyone kind of vote for what idea you like the best and we crowdfund one or two of the, of the ideas that the community wants to see. Right. Yeah, it's the same idea as the incubator mm -hmm. where the, the, the cost barrier is, is pretty low. It's pretty low. Mm -hmm. And, and, mm -hmm. In addition to potential fundraising, you, you also get somebody with an idea in front of other people who maybe have the rest right. of the funding or who, who, who want to partner or something like that. Whether, we're, whether we collect an eighth of a cent or a quarter of a cent or a half cent, the way we're going to be successful is by ledger, le, uh, leveraging the, the assets of the community. Economic development is not the responsibility of one person or one department. We all do have to pitch in on this. So we need, and I'll, I'll admit that we, we can do a better job than we have been doing, and I certainly intend to do a better job than we have been doing, about building those collaborative relationships between the entities that already exist. Sure. Now, as for what are the things that will actually get funded, I have no idea. Those are some things that I want to do. Which ones will materialize sooner than others? I can't tell you. Sure. Um, and how much will those cost? I can't tell you. What opportunities will be, uh, what, what opportunities will happen in the future, whether it's a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now? I have absolutely no idea. And I know that makes it hard for a lot of people when they're voting for this. Well, what are you actually doing? I get that. I really do. And that's what economic development is, is you're, you're voting for future opportunities. I'm, I mean, I've always seen, I've always thought of economic development as like a, a down payment for success. Because you don't, you know what I mean? Because you don't, if you want to buy a house, you know, you can't just, the bank's not going to loan you all the money. You want to go buy a car, you want to do most anything worthwhile. People want you to have some skin in the game before they give you the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So when you have something in the kitty, you have some skin in the game, you know, like the city of McAllister, what we can put a down payment for, it's a lot easier for people to, you know, to fund the rest of it or to, commit to the you know the rest of it but they want to see something first mm -hmm. and that's what's that's what's tough is because you you know 
when you don't have a, a dedicated revenue source, you have no money for the down payment. I mean, I'd love to have a $500,000 house, and I'm sure the bank would say, I'd love 20% down. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they would give me the other 80, you know? But I've got to come up with a down payment first. Right. I've got to find a way to have a revenue source to do my part first. Right. And that's what I feel like... like yeah economic development is is a way for our community to have our part our part first when that opportunity comes because i've i've I've, you know in my personal life i've had to pass on a lot of great deals because i wasn't in the right place you know financially to take advantage of it and those those opportunities have probably came and went from McAllister because we haven't been in the right place to take advantage of the opportunity yeah I, th- I think it's the same ethos that's behind, like, the downtown TIF thing in that what, are, what exactly are we going to fund with this? How much are we going to get mm-hmm. from it to fund something? What's it going to cost? Like, I'm not really sure, but it's more the idea that we believe in the, the premise of investing in this area. Let's do something. with this philosophy. Yeah. Well, dude, exactly let's it's, start it's, somewhere. It's an investment account. You're going to... You're going to have this money to invest in the, in wherever you are going to get the best return. Right. So, and that, that's been believing that it's a well, good that this could yeah. lead to good returns. Yeah. And, and I've, that's, I've never, I've not seen a lot of communities though that are that are, have been more willing and put more effort and energy to try to hear the voice of the people than what I have in McAllister in the last year and a half, two years. I mean, just a constant collaborative effort by every agency to say come and tell us what you think come and tell us what you want come and tell us you know and it's that's i mean we've got it we the people we need to respond i mean me as a taxpayer you know and a voter needs to respond to say no you guys want to do it and let's let's start somewhere and as an indicator of the community what businesses are looking at if they see that we're supporting our economic development as we should, then that's something that's favorable for McAllister when businesses are looking at Absolutely. whether or not they want to they want to come. The community mm-hmm. are going to make it a priority. Yeah. Everyone's going to get so out and vote, and care the, people care. Yeah. Apathy yeah. Business kills is people, look at the kills communities. Of McAllister. That's and, right. All right. Anyone else? Feedback or thoughts or questions for Kurt? Did you cover everything? I, I, are you going to? So. If we do get a Shark Tank panel. <laughs> can I at least interview to be on the panel? Yeah, I can't guarantee that. I, I'll let you interview, but I can't guarantee that it's going to be an official capacity. <laughs> he's going to be that guy in the first row just yelling. Yeah, this weird guy keeps coming by and asking me questions. I don't know what he. I don't know what he wants. <laughs> Most important thing is get out and vote. I mean, I mean, we all obviously want all of these to pass, but we we really want people to participate in democracy first and foremost. It's it works better if we get if people participate if we get your opinions you know that and you you support what you want to support you guys are the ones that define what the city is going to be what the hospital is going to be what the school system is going to be we we're just the conduits for putting the measures in place that you tell us that you want to do so please get out and vote i personally am going to vote yes on all four of them i i would encourage everyone else to do that but Whatever you do, just vote. Get out and vote. Thanks for watching. Join us next time. See you then. Will this be titled John Loves Voting? (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be hates. It's got to be somebody hates something. We'll figure it out. John hates fair and balanced news. There you go. (laughs)